Hello and welcome to Frameline. I'm Barbara Goslowski here with guess who? My favorite critic, my favorite co-host, Courtney Small. Hello, how are you today? Good, how are you? Oh, not too bad. Good. So, Courtney and I have battled the polar vortex to come out tonight and do this show because we're really excited about this film. We've got the filmmakers here. It's a film called Miniature. And it is having a Toronto premiere this Sunday, February 3rd, at the Hot Doc Cinema. And so the filmmakers, you might know them from a film called The Mighty Uke, uh, Tony Coleman and Margaret Meager. And they are here, and we're here, and we're ready to have a good time. It's a, it's a fun film. So I have, to gi- I have to give you guys credit for that. Hey, uh, thanks for having us. It's great to be here and to be uh, chatting with you about our film about tiny things. <laughs> and that's the fun thing about these tiny things. Actually, that's the fascinating thing. Uh, it's, it would be great to hear how you started on this journey because it is a bit of a road trip in a way. Um, and it's also a bit of history. It's a bit of everything. And I think, you know, if you talk about how you got into this, like what sparked it at first, you can sort of take us on the, like, touch on all the things because it's art, it's current, it's life, (laughs) it's Okay. Well, let me take you back to when I was eight years old. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, but <laughs> really, that vortex th- we could all sit here and live, I <laughs> swear, right. I'm not going anywhere. I'm that's, not in a rush. <laughs> that's right. Well, that's where it started. But, but um, I mean, a few years ago, a friend of mine who is a music composer, he asked me to make a music video for him, and he wanted it, the music video to be uh, based on a model train, the Toronto Model Railway Club. And um, I was reticent at first, but we went out and, and started filming this model railway and trying to bring a story out for the music video. And it became obvious really quickly that these miniatures, when filmed in a particular way, were very powerful storytelling tools. And I think that's when the idea first kind of uh, twigged to both of us that uh, that there was a big story in these little things. Mm-hmm. There was a bit of crossover also with Mighty Uke. It's the final, uh, one of the final quotations um, in Mighty Uke was, uh, who plays the ukulele? And the response was, people who like small stuff. And we started thinking about that and realized that we both made miniatures when we were kids and that it was uh, that we approached them different ways and had passions for them for different reasons, but, but we both made them and loved them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so let's talk a bit about the, the art aspect of it because so, some people don't quite realize that they, they're a very important part of art and art history. Indeed. Uh, it's the oldest art that we found so far, uh, miniature figurines that we call Venuses. They're um, kind of voluptuous women that were found in caves that are really uh, no bigger than a f- your your fingers. Uh, and they're carved out of mammoth ivory, mammoth ivory being long extinct. And they were discovered in caves, and they're up to 40,000 years old. It's amazing that that's kind of where we come from, from uh, miniaturizing our environment in order to relate to it in a different way. Mm-hmm. And it's it's also interesting to me how it has this ancient history and somehow in various different ways that 
tradition has continued even i mean i i think there's this really resonant line in the in the film at least to me i found it so that it resonated so much and it said miniatures are everywhere look around you right now yes in fact when we first started making the film we would tell people that we were going to make a film about miniatures and they would look at us funny and say you mean like toy trains or dollhouses and um it took us a while to explain but the explanation was this you doubt this is a a thing worth investigating. When you go home tonight, just walk around your house and count how many miniatures are in your house. And inevitably, people would come back the next time we would see them and they'd go, yeah, why do I have a miniature Eiffel Tower on my mantelpiece? And uh, our film seeks to answer that question. And also going into other elements of it, like miniaturizing of skill sets, right? So people would learn how to make a violin by making a little tiny one. Then there's less waste if, uh, in the learning process. But, that you know, things can be miniaturized in different ways and for different reasons. And even processes can be miniaturized. One of the things that I found interesting about the, the process of making miniatures is that a lot of the people that you spoke to were essentially jack-of-all-trades, or at least they had to learn to be jack-of-all-trades. And you guys, as as filmmakers, I know, you're filmmakers, editors, writers, uh, I believe one of you was teachers. So was that also that whole versatility in your own aspect and the creativity it fosters, is that one of the things that also propelled you to delve into this topic even further? Well, we are, we, we are, uh, I, I, how do I put this? If there is a creative opportunity, Margaret and I will take it. So when we're making a film, we want to do the animation. We want to do the graphics. We want to uh, operate the cameras. And uh, like miniature artists, they have to learn how to do a whole bunch of different things. If you're going to make a, a miniature scene, you have to know how to paint, how to sculpt, all kinds of different crafts, some electronics, some, you know, every discipline. And and so uh, the miniature allows us to explore different uh, different disciplines within art. Uh, now, I, I should say about our film, one of the most important parts for us was that it had to be great art. And we, we traveled the world to find the best artists who could best... Um, talk about the unique uh, kind of features that working in the miniature world offer. But I think if we weren't jack-of-all-trades, we probably would not have been commissioned to make a film about miniatures. You know, I don't know that we could have done it if it wasn't our own undiluted passion right, making right, the thing, right? right? If we right. had to get some other people on side, it that's would have right. been increasingly difficult. Though. We, we uh, Margaret and I as filmmakers, we try to take things that other people don't take seriously, seriously. But in not a too serious way. <laughs> no, it's, it's the light touch. It's the light touch, really, that uh, makes the film so – it gives us a, sen- a sense of the adventure that you're on. Well, thank you. It, it's, it, it's important to us to entertain. You want to inform. You want to create uh, emotional opportunities for your audience. But um, – Mostly, it's you want them to leave feeling that they got their money's worth, and so we 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 try to go the extra mile in terms of uh, where we go, <laughs> and and also uh, because we do so much of it ourselves, the editing and the filming, we can take time to really distill um, the work and leave people with some kind of sense of hope and empowerment. It's rare right. to find a documentary that's empowering. 
Well, that's true. I mean, and they don't all have to be, but we we seem to want to uh, uh, take a bit of a different tack and and have people leave our documentaries maybe feeling that there's something they can do. And in when you leave this film, we want you to go out and buy some miniatures and start creating. <laughs> <laughs> or maybe appreciate your mi- miniatures a bit more. Or in a different way, yeah, for sure. Because at that moment in the film, when there, you know, when there was that point that said, you know, look around you, they're everywhere. I just had to look up, and uh, there was <laughs> little Shakespeare and little Wonder Woman staring down at me. <laughs> Together at last. Together, yes. giving me inspiration and hope and joy in Different, completely <laughs> different right. ways. That's right. And, and yeah. So and to play off of that, one of the things that is touched on in your film but doesn't get explored too deeply is the commerce aspect of it. Because right. we're in a in a world right now where, especially with pop culture, those little Funko oh, miniature yeah. Star Trek characters or whatever, and you know, people are collecting miniature items and not really thinking of it it from a historical or art perspective right. they're just thinking of it as well i'll keep it in a box and one day it'll be worth a value hmm. and you had interviewed one man who was saying that he makes really expensive pieces for like they're they're immaculate and it's a it's a work of art but when he yes. explains it to people he has to give it the commerce side because that's yeah, that's right. right that's right what uh the, there's some a bit that's not in the film uh, the most expensive piece of real estate is actually a miniature dollhouse per square foot because it's you know it's like a twenty thousand dollar house but it's only the size of a small table um the we we didn't go into the collecting side of it so much. We kind of tried to stay on the creating side. Um, you know, George Lucas made his fortune on Star Wars, but even more so on the Star Wars action figures that came after the movies. And um, there is a huge business in selling chunks of plastic because the thing is, a miniature, more often than not, is just a chunk of plastic. We attribute all of this meaning and value into uh, chunks of plastic. It's interesting. Yeah, and with the meaning, one of the things I that really made me think while watching this film was you have an interesting contrast between idealism and reality. And there's some people that look at miniatures as a fondness. It takes them back to their childhood. There's some that view it as the ideal world like you know mm-hmm. they they want to live back in the 1950s because it was pristine and perfect and then you mm-hmm. also have people that are like well life actually wasn't that perfect as well so <laughs> how was it balancing that contrast it was very interesting seeing why people make the miniatures that they make and there was uh for a lot of people a sense of empowerment it's something i can control i have all the elements under control and for some people it was a sense of escape I can be elsewhere and create a world in which I can project myself. So uh, we we ourselves found that we made miniatures for different reasons. And so that was one of the things that we were interested in exploring in the film is what, what are we doing? And I think everyone had a different story about why they were making the miniatures they made. Indeed. And, and you know, there, uh, you know, the, the book uh, Gulliver's Travels by Jonathan Swift, which is about a miniature world that a regular sized person lands in and it's a satire right uh miniatures have a history of being really good objects of satire because they have this inherent cuteness and safeness about them but so you're able to deal with 
challenging subjects in a way perhaps that you wouldn't if you were just getting up and saying something. So, for instance, you know, seeing a miniature of, uh, uh, I don't know, Obama, President Obama, uh, is very different than actually meeting President Obama. And in some ways, for people, the miniature is a more uh, uh, magical experience. Uh, maybe not. I don't. <laughs> well, it's certainly not challenging, and yeah. I think that's the thing: yeah. is that they they you can slip. I think somebody in their film says, in fact, I'm sure of it, um, that you can slip things in with a miniature because people are disarmed; they're not protected against it because it seems to be innocuous. That's right. You- Miniatures make us lean in. They make us also make us vulnerable. I think that's why a lot of miniature culture is kind of made fun of. Because when you look at these little things and they can be very cute and very inviting, you have an emotional reaction that some people are open to and some people are not. Um, And uh, I guess we're kind of glad that we're the ones that are. Yeah, yeah. I was also thinking, I mean, in the case of, you know, meeting Obama versus having a miniature is that when you have the miniature in terms of what you were saying about safe and you have it. Mm. And it's private, like it's there instead of this public thing. Whereas if if you did actually meet him, there'd be a million people around, a million, you know. Mm. That's uh, right. And the mm. nerve, my level of nervousness, for example, would be through the roof, and I wouldn't be able to take it in. Whereas, <laughs> you know, for, I have, for example, Wonder Woman, who I'm never going to meet, <laughs> but you know, even if I met the actress, the Wonder Woman figure I have, I have empowered it with yes. stuff that will empower me. I've at- attached to it so much. When I mean, you start thinking about it, it 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 leads down some very interesting avenues. Uh us as human beings and our relationship to uh to miniatures, it it's uh uh, it's, it's complex. It's physical. It's tactile. You know, we heard people say like, you know, to comprehend in French means to take something in your hand, uh, that our hands and our feeling and, and touching of these miniatures make them a very intimate art form, more so than painting uh, or drawing, because you can have it in your hand. You can turn it. You can get different perspectives. Uh it, it, you know, when I say it here, it, 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 it seems obvious, but we don't really consider that when we're analyzing the art that we experience. Mm-hmm. It's really interesting as well how much people opened up, the makers, how much they opened up about their experience with the miniatures and in the making of the miniatures. And I'm, I'm, for some reason, I'm thinking of one of the dollhouse makers who he became, he's an expert on everything. He yeah. can make these, these antiques. I mean, everything he makes is worth so, so much money because of the craft he puts into it. But he has to learn, like what we were talking about, that they're jack of all trades. Yeah. He had to learn all of it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and how much we get from that conversation he's having with you. Yes. And, and ultimately, in the center of it all, you look at his work and you are mesmerized and titillated and it causes you to uh, think about a whole bunch of things that you would never think of if you were looking at the full-size object. Somehow when you miniaturize it, there is certain information transmitted by the miniatures of objects that you don't get. A miniature of a chair is far more interesting than an actual chair sitting in a room. Thought-provoking, too. Thought-provoking, yeah. yeah. And when you were filming, did you need a special camera to get some of the shots that you got? Uh-huh. 
I will I will admit <laughs> that there was there was a few times where you would travel from place to place and and show something, and then a foot would step in the way. It's like, oh, I'm looking at a miniature. I thought that, I was looking at yeah. the actual place. Well, a couple of things. First of all, we realized very early on that the hand in the shot is incredibly important because when you look at some of these really high-end, amazing miniature scenes, there really is no way that you can tell that it's a miniature until the hand comes in or if you see a, a penny in the corner. Um, now, filming these things is a real challenge, uh, especially if you want to create that illusion in the film world, because normally when you film very small objects, you have a very narrow depth of field with uh, with the lens that you have on your camera. Um, and we looked long and hard for a lens that would allow us to get close but yet still maintain a depth of field like in the real world so that you wouldn't know, see that the foot was out of focus because it was three inches in front of the gate that was in focus. Um, so we ended up using for a lot of our miniatures uh, a, a, a security camera, like a lens from a, a security camera that could open up really wide but still maintain a depth of field. And so we use that for a lot of our really close work. And then the other thing that we kind of decided to do, because there's only two of us, is we decided to miniaturize the whole production setup. So we had miniature lights, our cameras were tiny, our lenses were small, everything was about compressing it down uh, because we're not getting any younger and schlepping all that gear around Europe. Uh, it gets tired pretty fast. <laughs> and was it... Um tough getting the interviews that you got because well we we uh we just what we do is we keep interviewing we keep meeting new people because there's just two of us we can afford to shoot and shoot and shoot and i kind of say uh, one of my sayings i guess is that documentaries are like scotch the more you distill from the original material the more potent and tasty it will be and so we will shoot a lot more than many other documentary productions because we can. Um, and so, uh, you know, th there, I think there are maybe two dozen people in our film that, but I think we interviewed maybe 50, maybe 60, uh, because we're, we're trying to find when you lay out the, the story of miniature through time and through the various disciplines of art, it's almost like you have a checklist Okay, well, we want to meet someone who lives in this part of the world who does this kind of thing because that's where that whole thing started. And so then you start to plot out on a map, well, where can we go? We knew very early on we had to go to the south of Germany because it was in those caves that they found the very first miniatures. And when we got to Germany, that's when we heard in the news about the kids in Vienna. And so we just hopped in the car and drove to Vienna. Uh, so we, we have that flexibility to kind of follow stories and uh, to go down. I guess Alice went down the rabbit hole. We went down the miniature the hole. <laughs> and how does the the writing process come in? Because I know with um, documentaries, a lot of people just think it's you interview people and right, shoot, right? right? But they forget there's a writing aspect to, to weave the story. So was it after you collected all this data, then you kind of sat down? Or, or was it as you were going along, you... Both. It's both. Yeah. So uh, we, we fleshed out ideas before we would shoot. What kind of a role would this play? And then 
we would shoot over time and then have to adjust what we what we saw as the story. But the story had to evolve along the way because that was part of what the documentary was about is yes. why do people make miniatures and why have we been doing it for really as long as we've been human. Very early on, we kind of realized that um, the thing about miniatures that is appealing to a lot of people is this notion of a collection, a collection of miniatures. And so we kind of based our film on the idea that this would be a collection of miniatures. And they would be different kinds of miniatures and, and, and you know, getting back to the thing about the writing and the uh, interviewing, um, you know, in, in documentary, my training has kind of brought me to this realization that there, there are four elements to uh, filmmaking. There's music, there's dialogue, there's visuals, and then there's created animation and graphics. Those four things kind of make up what happens uh, in a documentary. And so it's about finding that rhythm. And because I'm also the narrator, because we do everything ourselves, I'm sitting in the edit suite editing the film. I will slap together a few scenes or a few shots of the artist at work and then just play it and start talking like I'm having a conversation with someone. And so I've got a, a notepad in front of me all the time. And, and, and when the project is finished, is, there's about 200 pages of writing. Now, in the final script, there's probably only about 30. But I'm just writing, talking, listening. Uh, it's this constant. Build the scaffolding. Build the scaffolding and then take everything out in, before it collapses. That's kind of the idea. Take out everything that isn't a movie. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Sorry, and I have one more question just to follow up on that because you, sure. you had raised the uh, point about narration. Uh, was it your intention to have narration all the way through or was it you just yes. decided? Well, one thing that um, I realized early on, like Mighty Uke, uh, sorry, our last film was a documentary about the ukulele. And that's an odd thing. So you don't want to make an odd film about an odd thing. You want to make a traditional film about an odd thing because the oddness is the thing. It's not about – and the same with miniature. We could have made a weirdo – you know, look at the weirdo people who are making these weird little miniature things. But it demands almost a traditional treatment. And so the idea was from the beginning that it would be narrated and that probably it would be narrated by me. An interesting choice, and it's it, interesting that Courtney, you know, brought up all these elements of the filmmaking and got you to speak about all these things because this 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 point especially um, makes me it goes along w with something that I had observed, and I'm hoping you can comment about, which is that with you know with Mighty You can and with this film miniature, it's you know it's a singular thing that you're focusing on, mm. uh, they might be, yes, they're out of the ordinary, but they're singular things. And yet, the way that you've described your filmmaking process, it, it has, the process has allowed you to go on this journey and how much of that was planned ahead of time. This journey where mm. you've gone through every nook and cranny <laughs> of examining other cultures, peoples, whole groups of peoples, um, art forms, all see commerce now, you know, <laughs> yeah. that we've, we've mentioned commerce, like all these different elements that are just like part of life and, and you put them all together in this, this very rich tapestry, this experience and, you know, so. Well, hey, cheers. Thank you. It's, it's, uh, it's a labor of love. 
for both of us. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's I, kind of a two-stage process. At the stationary stage, you tend to look at uh, popular culture and I look at the history. That's kind of it, yeah. That's and then we figure it out from there what would be the shooting schedule, where are we going to go, who are we going to talk to, and then we have to weed through who's available and actually wants to participate. Yeah, it's a dance. It's a delicate dance, and you got to uh, – I remember when I was – I studied film at Ryerson, and we had a professor who, who said, uh, failing to plan is planning to fail. So, of course, you, you plan like crazy, but, of course, the first day the plan goes out the window. In fact, there was one scene <laughs> yeah. in the movie when we're, we're in New, Lo- New Orleans, and we're filming with a woman who has a dollhouse that is about the women of uh, – Free color? Free women of color. Free women of color. Um, 19th century uh, black communities, wealthy, independent. I knew nothing about them. Uh, And we were filming there. And uh, uh, there was a little party going on in the kitchen. And we were interviewing Cheryl at the time, and there was a lot of noise. And I was afterwards, I was feeling horrible. Oh, it's too noisy. We're not going to be able to do it, use it. And then as soon as I got home and cut it together, it's like, well, that's how it is in people's houses. It's noisy. There's people talking. It's okay. And so I'm constantly learning uh, also about uh, the happy accidents. And that's what ultimately I think every filmmaker is after is the happy accidents, those wonderful things that that. That, uh, that you don't plan for, that, that delight you and hopefully delight the audience at the end of the day. Mm-hmm. And do you have a sense now when you've had a bit of distance, you have this sense of, of this great, varied adventure that you were on? <laughs> this multifaceted Did- <laughs> It's it's funny uh, some of the accidents like you know when we met uh, when we heard about this story in Vienna which uh, uh, I won't get into but at the end of the f- it's the end of the film it's the third act of the film um, th- to have it kind of fall in our lap by by accident like who'd have thunk uh, you know that someone would build a miniature city to illustrate government malfeasance like. But hey, and there then you put go. it in the center of Vienna <laughs> for a month. That's right. That's right. <laughs> Just enough time to shoot it, get plan out the shooting, and get. You know. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Yeah. And do you think with the the history of miniatures, how long they've been going? They seem to outlast many things, like you know, with the technology boom that we're in and tech everywhere, miniatures are still thriving. Do you, do you think that yeah, there'll be yeah, anything true, right? that, that knocks them off or is it just... I think they, there's up and down, like with any art, but I think the big down most recently came with plastic. So now they're kind of ubiquitous. And when there's ubiquity, there's a right. devaluation. So I think the next wave is going to be a return to fine-scale handmade miniatures, fine-crafted miniatures, yes. uh, because the, the, the crafters now are aging out. They're all elderly, and uh, there's space for people to come in before yeah. these guys aren't able to teach anymore. So I think that's probably the next thing when people s- begin to notice that that it's not miniatures' fault that plastic exists. Yeah, before the you know kind of plastic explosion after the uh, World War II, uh, you know, miniature art was highly regarded because it was something that took time, uh, talent, and effort. But then you know, plastic. You could make a million little trucks, whereas there used to be a guy in town who maybe made the toy trucks for all the kids. I would hope that maybe we might come around to that again, where uh, 
where there is craft, uh, human craft in the toys that we encourage our kids to play with. I mean, you know, it's hard to hard to right now because mass production makes it all so cheap. Thanks so much for talking to us. Oh, hey, it's a pleasure. Uh, you know, we, we've spoken to each other for years about miniature. It's great to get someone else in on it now. <laughs> <laughs> and if anyone listening wants to join in the conversation, both filmmakers, Tony Coleman and Margaret Meager, will be at the Hot Doc Cinema on this Sunday, February the 3rd, at the 2 p.m. screening of Miniature. They'll be there for the Q&A. And you guys, I know, didn't just listen to the conversation we had. <laughs> Once you guys join in, everybody out there, you're going to have such a good time. We, we're also bringing a miniature museum to the show. We, we just finished building it. It's all of the miniatures that are in the film uh, will be in a display case at the theater. So you can come out from seeing them on the big screen and go, really? That was, you know? <laughs> it looks so that, big. That is in itself is worth the price of admission right there. But now you get two amazing things for the price of one. Right so on. that's miniature this Sunday at Hot Dogs, 2 p.m. Be there. And it's not going to be polar vortex, so no excuses. Okay. So that's it for Frameline for this week. Thanks, everyone, for listening. And we'll catch you next week. <laughs>